This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. And welcome, welcome, good morning, good afternoon, whatever the case may be. You're here live with Dr. Jeff Werber, your host for the next 30 minutes here on Pet Life Radio. Ask the vets with Dr. Jeff, your live call-in show. Call in. We want to hear from you. Uh, some easy ways to do it. First way, the good old-fashioned phone, 877-385-8882. Once again, 877-385-8882. Toll-free. Call us and join us. A better way is to join me live here on Google Hangouts. It's easy to do. You're just going to click on PetLifeRadio.com, go to Shows and scroll down to Ask the Vets with Dr. Jeff. And if you scroll down on my page, you're going to see a box left by our producer, Mark, and it is going to have a Google Hangouts link. Click on the link, follow the prompts, and it's easy, and you can join me here live right away as we speak with your pet in hand. Now, we do have a uh, caller question, wrote something in that I want to discuss. And but before we get started, my topic for the day is going to be, of course, Halloween. It's around the corner. It's a few days away and a lot of potential problems for our pets. So we got to be aware and sort of uh, be a little bit. This is where we really get to practice some preventive medicine. Before we do that, I just want to go through some oh, some news pieces from the American Vet Med Association and the American Animal Hospital Association just to keep you up to date. First of all, this is interesting. For those of you who thought that this would be a good idea, it's not a good idea. What is that idea? Raising cubs of large cat cubs you know, whether whatever they may be. And uh, unfortunately, ordinary people just can't really meet their needs. They're just not tame animals, period. They're not domesticated. So even if you do all the tricks, yeah, you're going to see stuff online. And it's adorable. There's no doubt about it. You got this guy in South Africa, he's raised these lion cubs, and man, they are nuts over him. And I think it's the cutest thing in the world. I'm jealous. I wish I could do the same. But those are the cute stories those are not the normal ones. Wild animals are wild animals. They pose a big risk. So if you were even thinking about it, don't think about it anymore. This is a, a sad one. A woman in Schaumburg, Illinois. What's so interesting about where this took place in Schaumburg, Illinois, that is the, the offices of the American Veterinary Medical Association. So of all places, right, to have this woman do what she did. Basically, she was um, she pled guilty to animal cruelty charges against her nine-year-old, extremely, extremely neglected Shih Tzu. Her fine, $650, $649 to be exact, two years probation. She's banned from adopting any more animals, which is a good thing. And she has three cats, and she has to prove that she takes the cats to the vet every three months. So, I mean, if you're going to have a pet, you got to take care of it. It's plain and simple. It's so sad when I see these people coming in, or they can't afford it. If you can't afford pet care, and you don't have insurance, which is nothing we're going to talk about in a second, then just don't do it as much as fun as it is. Visit them, go to a shelter, spend some time, volunteer. If you want to get your pet fixed, there are other ways to do it. But don't bring a pet home if you can't take care of it. So uh, let's talk about pet insurance. A study done by Purdue, the veterinary school at Purdue University, was studying cost benefits of pet insurance. You know, again, you've got to be really careful because a lot of these uh, plans are age-based. A lot of them have limited coverages. So you have to read the fine print. The conclusion was that if you are going to get it and you're able to use it, of course, it's worth it. But if you're going to get it and you either don't use it or can't use it because of the problems that you're trying to ensure are not being covered, then it's just not worth it. You're throwing your money away. One of the alternatives, and again, I'm a big fan of pet insurance. I have clients that come in thrilled because they had something that was covered and they paid 80, 90%, which is just great. 
So I'm, I'm truly an advocate, but I'm also, what I'm, I'm strongly more of an advocate about is not having protection. As I just mentioned, you need to be able to take care of your pets. So the only other alternative that works, well, there are two actually. One is set up an account in your pet's name and monthly, every month, whatever that insurance premium would have been, just put it into the account. It's automatic. Do it. It's an automatic debit. It just goes right out of your account into your pet's account. And so you're creating almost like an, H- an HSA. Unfortunately, it's not tax deductible, but it's an HSA. So what you can do is have it, it builds up, you know, maybe 50 bucks a month, 600 bucks a year. Next two years, you have 18, three years, you have 1800 bucks plus the interest that you get from the account. And when you need it, at least you have something there to help. But the key here that is if you don't use it, who does it belong to at the end of the term? It's yours. The insurance companies, of course, are banking on the fact that you're not going to use as much as the, of the premiums that you've put in, or obviously an aggregate of all the premiums they've collected. And that's how they make their money and they stay in business and they are able to protect those who do need it when they need it. So the other alternative you have is, um, of course, marry well. Uh, <laughs> you find that right spouse who can take care of you. You don't have to worry about pet insurance. So uh, anyway, uh, Brooklyn Raccoons. This is in Prospect Park, Brooklyn. They are now being diagnosed and carrying canine distemper virus. So if you live in that area and you have dogs, make sure they are vaccinated or at least you've done a tighter test to prove that they are still adequately protected against canine distemper, which can be and often is deadly. Of course, cold weather tips, make sure as it gets cooler and cooler, even here, a little overcast today here in LA, you want to make sure that the animals are sheltered from the cold. Keep them indoors as much as you can. Now, if you're going to have them outside, make sure they have, as I said, plenty of shelter. Wind chill is worse sometimes than just the cold temperature. Make sure the water, you have fresh water that doesn't freeze. And uh, if you have short coated dogs or especially small breed dogs, don't be embarrassed to put the sweaters on. Um, it does help them. And uh, this is also, you know, sad for me. I'm a Labrador guy. I have a couple of labs. have had labs for much of my adult life. And um, that the chocolate labs, interestingly, seem to have a shorter lifespan by about a year. It's about 11 years versus 12.1 on an average expected life expectancy. And here's why, is that there's less genetic diversity. Because for to get a yellow, you can have a, a, a black that is a recessive black mixed with another recessive black, or of course with a yellow, right, which is dominant yellow, and you can still throw yellow labs. So there's always a way to get diversity. Chocolates typically have to be bred a chocolate to a chocolate. And therefore, with, with that, they're not getting enough of the black genetics or the yellow genetics in it so much anymore. And so they're not getting enough genetic diversity, and they are having some, some health problems as they get older, but chocolate labs are amazing. And they are so, so pretty. And also, this is interesting, the phase two dog aging study is being done. They're actually looking for healthy animals between six and 10 years of age. And they're studying that drug rapamycin, R-A-P-A-M-Y-C-I-N. Look it up. Uh, apparently, it's, it's the next big thing to help with aging. So um, anyway, one of the things we talked about, I mentioned this outside of the show, that we are going to talk Halloween. And Halloween is, I mean, first of all, it's a, it's a fun time. But you really, there, there's some things that we have to worry about our pets. Of course, the candy, uh, you know, chocolate, we got to watch chocolate, we got to watch raisins, we have to watch out the nuts. As we know, or discussed it before, problems with uh, xylitol. Xylitol is an artificial sweetener that is used in a lot of candies, sugar-free candies and mints, gums. And so if people, if your kids are getting those types of candies and uh, your dog gets a hold of them, that's actually worse than, than chocolate. So it's very, very important to keep an eye on it. So dogs, unfortunately, don't know how to unwrap things. They eat everything 
They are going to eat the wrappers. They're going to pull things apart. It potentially is is a problem. But of course, the, the biggest thing is chocolate. Now, milk chocolate is not as serious a toxin as, say, bittersweet chocolate or baker's chocolate. So if there's some really good chocolate candies that were made of pure dark chocolate, those can be a problem. I mean, every chocolate would be a problem. The only chocolate that's probably not such a problem is white chocolate, which doesn't have a whole lot of cocoa, if any, but it's really not chocolate. But the other chocolates are potential danger, and we, we really be careful. But my, my concern when it comes to Halloween is there are so many other things that we tend to do with our pets. And our pets, you know, we think that it's okay. For example, you want to take your pets trick-or-treating. Again, that could be okay. It all depends on the dog. But think about this. You have a dog, and obviously, if you're out trick-or-treating, unless you are a very interesting adult, you have kids. And so when you're walking with your kids, you know your pets. Your dogs love kids, so there's no problem. So here you are. When do we start trick-or-treating? We start trick-or-treating once it gets dark, typically. So now you have dogs. Remember, of all the senses, dog's vision is the worst. Great sense of smell, taste, hearing, all the above. Unless you have a really old dog like my Herbie, you don't hear so well anymore. But typically, their senses are great. They're not, the one that's not so great is their eyesight. So here we are, low-light situation. And you're walking with your dog, who you think is a wonderful dog, and probably is. And all of a sudden, a group of something is coming at you. And you know that that's something or kids in costume. But the dog doesn't know that. And they are very strange looking. And I mean, think about it. Think about when you come in your house at night, okay? And you're not even wearing a costume. And until your dog, because it meant, remember, they don't see as well as we do. And all of a sudden, they don't see that, that visual acuity. They can, oh boy, they can sense motion really well. But as far as the colors and the acuity, it's not as, as great. It's not as sharp as ours. So they start barking. And it's not until you, they see you in better light where they can see it's you do they stop barking. So you can only imagine what it's like when this these bunch of kids, a group of six kids are coming right at you. Now they see the dog. They're pet lovers, hopefully themselves. And what do they want to do? They want to come up to your dog and pet your dog and kneel down. And guess what? The dog bites. So it is afraid. So you need to be very, very careful. How about you don't take your dog with you and you are at home. And what happens? The doorbell is ringing every who knows, minute, two minutes, five minutes, whatever it is. And your poor dog is going nuts. If you have a dog that freaks out, 4th of July, fireworks, freaks out with thunderstorms, etc., then you very potentially can have a dog who's going to go nuts every five minutes, four minutes, three minutes when the doorbell rings. And then again, when you open the door, the dog is at your side and it doesn't see a person that he or she recognizes. No, sees these very strange, bizarre looking creatures with these bizarre costumes. And again, even your sweetest dog might lunge. And if they're not lunging to bite, they're lunging to escape. So I hear this all the time, that animals do not, you, you think your pets are going to be cool, and hopefully they are, but we have to be very careful. So my recommendation, very simple, is that you're going to keep your pets in a different part of the house, keep them quiet, keep them occupied, give them something that they can chew on, give them their own treats to play with. And if you have a dog that gets really, really worked up, see your veterinarian. There are some solutions, whether, you know, it's a calms vest, whether it's some medication, whatever the case may be, there are things that, that will chill your dog, keep him or her occupied. If you have a dog that you are not sure you've not done this before, and that is taking them with you on with the kids for trick or treat, you just might want to be just exercise extreme caution. 
Now, one last thing. How about dressing your dog up in costumes? You know, it is, again, it is something that's cute. Of course, we like cute. But is it bothering them? They're not going to tell you. Is the strap under their, you know, axilla, their front leg causing a problem? Is it going to affect how they react and behave with others? And the answer to that is we just don't know. So again, I'm not saying don't do it. I will tell you that enough people do it because of some ridiculous number I saw in print about how many millions and millions of dollars are spent on dog costumes. So I personally don't dress up my dogs in costumes. I personally don't let them sit at the front door with me while, while the kids are, are coming over. And uh, certainly at my kid's age, no one's going trick-or-treating anymore. But but if I can, and if I see a bag of candy, I am sticking my hand in it. There's no doubt about it. So uh, anyway, uh, I want to take a quick break here. Don't go away. Uh, we have a very interesting letter that I got from a, a listener. And so we want to answer her questions. Hopefully, you will learn from the answers as well. We'll be back after these short messages. We'll be right back, right after these messages. Stay tuned. Put on a perfectly possum pet party. Having an awesome birthday or adoption day celebration for your four-legged friend? Or just want a fun excuse to throw a fun party with your friends from the dog park? Deck out your party with Molly and Bandit Pet Party Accessories, party products designed specifically for pets. There are wearables, including adjustable pet party hats, bow ties, and tutus. The photo prop kits include funny glasses and hats. The party supplies and decorations include coordinating table covers, party banners, cake decorations, and treat bowls, cups, and bags. Everything you need to create great memories and Instagram-worthy photos. They're available in two colorful themes, Tropical and Fireman. It's a dog's life. Celebrate it with Molly and Bandit Pet Party at mollyandbanditpetparty.com slash petlife. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets on Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. And welcome back. You're here live with Dr. Jeff Weber here on Ask the Vets with Dr. Jeff. And um, so we got a, um, a a letter from a listener who loves our show. Thank you very much. And uh, just adopted a dog recently, a little Queensland uh, healer cross, who, by the way, <laughs> she sent a picture of the dog. I'm ready to steal the dog. Looks so adorable. He was at the main Society for a couple of days first, so he didn't spend a lot of time there. Brings him home. She has another dog at home. They seem to get along great. But he seems to to vomit or regurgitate very frequently. And... Um, so anywhere from one to eight hours, the food looks only partially or, or sometimes non-digested. I'm just kind of scrolling through this as I see it. And um, never lethargic. He's very active. He plays, plays with the other dog. Obviously, a lot of things. First of all, he's a very fast eater. It doesn't seem to chew his food. And obviously, if he, uh, if when the, the vomit is, comes up or the regurgitation comes up and the big, hard, large pieces, clearly he doesn't chew his food. And most dogs don't chew their food. They wolf it down in two seconds flat. So the recommendation there by the veterinarian, which I like, is to maybe spread the food out and don't feed him in a bowl at once. Make him work for the food. And by spreading it out and let him you know, sort of chase after the food, he can't eat a whole lot all at once, which is true. Talked about potential for um, acid reflux. Also very possible. I would, the listener was using some Tums or Pepto-Bismol. I think that if we have 
a reflux disease, which is very possible. I am a big fan of something a little stronger, Zantac, over-the-counter. Pepsid-AC works very well. Prilosec works very well. For Pepsid-AC, it's usually a half a milligram per kg. So, you know, for, so just you can figure out the dose. You know, maybe a 20-pound dog would take half of a 10, over-the-counter 10, just to put it in perspective. You know, 20 pounds, 10 kilos, half of that is five. The over-the-counter uh, over Pepsid that you can find, Pepsid-AC, is 10 milligram tablets. So that's something that I would uh, say is very possible to try. Um, also, as I said, Prilosec, very inexpensive, over-the-counter. And I recommend giving these about 15 to 20 minutes before a meal, and that might help. Now, you know, one of the things that when I read the history of how this has all been going down, I am, uh, you know, the fast eating is a possibility, reflux is a possibility. I'm not so concerned about the food being rich, which was also brought up as a possibility. But what I'm really concerned about is there is a condition that sometimes we see called mega esophagus. And it's, uh, it has to be tested. The reason I'm concerned about it is the fact that sometimes the regurgitation happens six to eight hours later. If it happened right away, I'd say more reflux disease. When it sits there, it could be sort of the esophagus. It's very large. It's not propelling. It's usually a muscular issue. It's not propelling the food into the stomach. So it sits there and sits there and sits there until it comes out. So you know what I recommend, and I would like you know this to be tried as well if you're listening, is that you want to grind the food down or pre-moisten it with water if it's dry food or especially if it's large morsels of dry and kind of pulverize it a little bit into it doesn't have to be like a, a mush like soup but more like a gruel it can be thick and again when you feed him don't feed him where his head is down to the ground don't put the bowl on the ground elevate the bowl so the bowl is about the same height as his throat so that way when he's eating and his head is a little more raised than normally the gravity with the softer food, smaller morsels, smaller pieces might sort of let the food sort of trickle down into the stomach. And uh, then I think the pepsid and things like that might help with the, the reflux. Uh, we get something that is a, a little stenosis and narrowing where at the cardia portion of the stomach, that's where the esophagus meets the stomach. And um, that too can be causing the problem. Now, if we think that the issue is actually part of the stomach, in other words, the, the esophagus is fine, then I'm worried about, again, if, if foods that sort of partially to non-digested is coming up eight hours later, then I'm worried about another problem on the other end of the stomach, and that's called pyloric stenosis. The pylorus is a muscular ring at, as the stomach empties into the small intestine, and the stomach is contracting and is pushing the ingesta that's now partially digested from all the gastric secretions that are digestive juices, and pushes the food into the or the what's left of the food into the duodenum duodenum use whatever term you like and that pylorus is narrowed that is often a surgical disease that it needs to be opened up we do a pyloromyotomy kind of a cool surgery and uh, that opens up the the pylorus as well so because of the rapidity the quickness where sometimes he regurgitates i would think that maybe megasophagus or just the other things he's a, a, a happy dog he's a chouse's food down two seconds flat he causes the food to like bunch up. And it's not that the esophagus isn't working. It gets so much food in there so fast that it just can't start pushing it into the stomach. And therefore, it sits there and ultimately he regurgitates it. So we need to force him out. That's why the first suggestion by a veterinarian to kind of spread the food out on the floor and let him have to go from to morsel to morsel to morsel instead of having it all there in his bowl at once might not be a bad suggestion. But also, I think by eliminating or at least testing to see if this helps, I like the 
the idea of, of crushing the food a little bit more, feeding from a height, and including the Pepsid or the Prilosec, and um, that should help as well. So um, that's it's really a good question. I'm so happy that you adopted him. First of all, as you said, from the picture you sent me, he is adorable. And um, so uh, I don't know if I can even, uh, if I can pull it up here and show the picture. He's really, really, really cute. I don't know if you can see this. There he is. So he is one cute pooch. So yeah, and the fact that he's, you say he's very happy otherwise, he runs, he plays with the other dog. I'm not worried about a major, major medical disease, but um, these are things that we want to try. Those are the two things that sort of come to mind. Slow his food down, make it easier for him to eat, less big, dry trunks, feed from a height, let him rest right after he eats, and uh, try the um, either the Prilosec or the Pepsid AC and see how he does. Now, the next step steps, obviously, are going to require a little bit more diagnostics, a dye study. We do what's called an esophagram and see if we can do a swallowing study and see if all the, how fast the food and the ingesta goes from the esophagus into the stomach. And then another thing, it's a barium study where you study how fast the food goes through the intestinal tract. It's called a, an upper gastric study. So see if that makes a, a big difference as well. So anyway, that's all we have time for today. I want to wish everybody a safe, safe, happy Halloween. Uh, be careful with your pets. Uh, don't ignore them. If you want to include them, but on their terms, if you have dogs that you don't know how well they may do, be very, very, very careful if you're taking them outside. Um, and also, if they freak out, by the way, uh, make sure that there's no escape route, whether it's from, through a back door, a window, um, a, a non-gated yard, uh, because sometimes with people and the doorbell ringing so frequently and the dog seeing these weird characters coming to the front door, we don't want them to freak out as well. So um, anyway... Um, have a great, safe Halloween. We will be here next week. Those of you who if you have any questions about your pet, anything that you want to talk about, anything that you saw your veterinarian and you just want a second opinion for free. That's a free second opinion. Go figure. So you can um, actually get a hold of me, uh, Dr. Jeff at PetLifeRadio.com. Uh, you want to see some cute pics, uh, some good educational stuff that I provide. I, I, I post on my Instagram. That's at Dr. Jeff Werber. And... Um, uh, as I said, we'd love to hear from you if you have any questions. And I hope uh, uh, from our our, uh, our uh, listener, our viewer, uh, that our, my discussion helped. And feel free to reach out to me if you need or want any more information. Have a good week, everybody. We'll see you here next week, same time, same channel here on Pet Life Radio. Ask the for Dr. John. You will. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.